This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you once again without my co-host, Andy Bailey, but I am super excited to be joined by one of our favorite guests, one of my co-workers, one of my favorite people, uh, not even just in the NBA sphere, but just to talk to in general, Grant Hughes, who is a national NBA featured columnist at Bleacher Report. He is also a lawyer, just in case anyone has any legal issues going on. I'm not sure how much he's practicing, but pay him a lot of money if you need a lawyer. Follow him on Twitter at GT underscore Hughes. The man is a great tweeter when he does tweet. And if you follow him, the best part is when he doesn't tweet for a while, you get these notifications sent to your phone that said, Grant Hughes just tweeted for the first time in a while. And it makes you be like, oh, hey, let me see what he said. Um, before we dive in to something that I think you're going to find super interesting, something that was also inspired by Grant and what also makes him the perfect guest for this podcast, I believe, I just want to remind, implore, beg, plead with everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. We can also be found wherever else you get your podcasts, rate us, subscribe to us wherever you are there, but As of right now, the best way to help this pod and help us just get exposure and and give us feedback, bring those ratings up on iTunes, throw us a five-star, even if you have some negative feedback. You can throw that feedback in the reviews, which we also appreciate people leaving, and try suggesting us to a friend. Promote this yourself on Twitter. Just help us get the word out there that this podcast sucks, but sucks in a good way. And as always, you can get 15% off at the MBA Math shop, mbamath.com slash shop. Promo code Benno, B-E-N-O. You should be able to spell that on your own by now. Today, we are going to do what is basically going to be called, and now for something completely different awards, predictions aimed at the 2018-2019 regular season. And these are going to be some of them. You could probably guess best offense, worst offense. But we're going to dig deep, and we're going to look for really some for some really specific obscure, different types of awards to hand out. Grant wrote something, a series on this a few years back that I really enjoyed. It has since been labeled defunct, and I want to keep it alive because it's spectacular and fun. Before we dive into these 20 or so awards, though, we have to ask the question that I'm sure everyone's dying to know after my nearly three-minute rant. Grant, how the hell are you? I'm good. Um, and I also, I want to back up, um, into your three minute rant and say that I do not endorse, uh, your request for negative feedback. Um, at least as far as I'm concerned. So if you have negative feedback about me or about this, um, take a hike because I don't want to hear it. We're doing this, uh, cause we like it and I don't care about your opinion. So 
Um, other than that, I'm good. Um, I guess you could say that uh, I'm surprised that I was the inspiration for this because I definitely don't remember writing the articles that you're talking about, but that's because I'm getting old and I never <laughs> remember what I write. So this will be exciting for me too. Yeah, you wrote a bunch of them. I remember enjoying it. I always wondered why the series died, but that's a story for a day that we'll never get to the bottom of. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to you where, wherever you want to start, and I'm gonna mm. I'm gonna put the pressure on you to to direct us this entire podcast. I hope you're ready. I'm ready. Um, I'm also not creative, so I'm gonna start with the very top one on our Google sheet that no one can see, um, and that's best offense and. Um, I mean, we both picked the Warriors. Um, Andy, who's not here, also picked the Warriors. I don't know if we need to reference his picks going forward, but just for the record, it was one of our only clean sweeps. It might be the – there's another one I see. One of very few clean, clean sweeps. Um, and I guess, obviously, everybody knows why we would pick them because they're one of the greatest offenses ever, and when they actually care, they're like even better than that. Um, but – can't you see the way for, for there to be like five or six other teams that could actually finish with the best offensive rating this year? Because I can talk myself into several um, just related to the idea that the Warriors are going to coast super hard. Let me see if I how many how many are you thinking aside from the Warriors? Um, let me just look. So just based on last year, the top five was Golden State, Houston, Toronto, Minnesota, Cleveland. We can rule Cleveland out. But I mean, so Houston probably not as good, but they were a 10th of a point behind the Warriors in offensive rating last year. Carmelo probably hurts that. Um, but maybe you get a little more Chris Paul. I don't know. I could see them being right there again at like 112 ish, uh, per 100. The Raptors, I think their offense might be better. Um, just because you've cut DeMar DeRozan and the long twos and the ball stopping out of it. Um, and Leonard's just better than he is. Um, Minnesota, why are they going to be worse? You know, Wait, and that's kind of my logic are you for several with of these Minnesota? teams. Their shot What's selection. That? I'm. I'm like. I'm. I'm just the caper against Minnesota. I don't. They were basically one of the league leaders in long twos last year. Whatever they did was just not sustainable. I'll be. Yeah. If they're top five offense again, I'll be shocked. Well, that's the thing. Like they did all that with crappy shot selection. Um. And like, yeah, I'm not. Maybe having faith in Thibodeau, like updating anything to modern ways of thinking, is ridiculous. But like, just the idea that. You know, they were scoring at what, like 70, 80 percent of their potential just because they were hamstringing themselves with terrible shots. Like what if that change, you know, if that changes a little bit, that's a big I don't know. You know, Denver's there. I could see who knows. There's just several teams I could talk myself into. But I think if you had to bet, it's got to be the Warriors just because they could snooze to the offensive. And they have sort of that midseason trump card if DeMarcus Cousins comes back and just starts pummeling um second units even if he starts i'm assuming they'll play him a bunch against opposing bench mobs and then they'll be nice maybe where they're giving stars rest and he'll be able to cook they might just be able to uh coast their way to the league best rating again which is why i picked them and it's also going to be fun relaying andy's picks when he's not here to defend himself i love love (laughs) that idea I think that's the going to be the best part of this. Let's just attack him personally. Yeah, I think that's fair. The can you guess? So I looked this up on NBA.com while you were talking. Um, out of their guards, forwards, and centers, the Warriors had the top offensive rating in two of those three departments. Which one did they not have it in? Hmm. This feels like a trick question. I mean, the the answer would seem to obviously be centers, but. Because you're asking me, that can't be right. So I'll just say they didn't have it in forwards. How about they, that? They didn't have it in guards. How is that possible? 
I, I, assu- I reject the statistic. I'm assuming because James Harden and Chris Paul. That's my only answer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and also their bench, like, didn't have the best shooters coming off it. So. Oh, that's an understatement. For I mean, Nick Young is a is a quote unquote good shooter, but I mean, they they made the fewest threes off the bench in the league last year. Um. So you know what's kind of funny is that I'm not sold that Cousins makes that big of a difference. But I mean, he becomes probably their best bench three point shooter that's going to play big minutes because oh, I don't wow. think Yurebko is going to see a lot of time. Um, so it's weird that that might be the way that he actually helps. And that's why I agree he's going to play a lot of second unit minutes because just throw him out there and tell him to chuck. Um, and I think I think that might keep, keep him happy. And if you do if you do toggle for starters, Houston's starting backcourt, Harden and Chris Paul basically, but they do have other games baked in there. 113.8 offensive rating, Warriors starting backcourt, 113.7. <laughs> it's a tight race. Yeah. But yeah, I think it I think it'll be Golden State again. I think that's a pretty I think that's that's a gimme one to me. Yeah. I think we spent too much time on an obvious one, but so what about the worst offense? You can go first on this one because I'm interested in your pick. Um I will relay Andy's. Uh he said the Atlanta Hawks, Trey Young should yeah. be angry as as hell. I picked the Orlando Magic. And two of the main reasons why they have Evan Fournier, uh, who's a good scorer, but they like to try and make Aaron Gordon this high usage face up guy. And, and he's just not that his three point percentage was terrible after their eight and four start. Uh, they don't have, they probably have the worst point guard rotation in the league. Yeah. Uh, and I guess some people could include the Knicks in there if they want, but Trey Burke was pretty good to end the year. And I'm, I'm a big Frank Nielakina fan. Their point guard rotation is just a mess. You're going to have lineups where um, Jonathan Simmons is your point guard. And that might be fine for stretches, but you're not going to score well. The other thing for me, and this comes with the caveat that that I was kind of shocked that they didn't rank uh, lower on the offensive scale last year. They were, they were 25th in points scored per 100 possessions. But by drafting Mo Bamba, you've essentially consigned yourself to saying that Jonathan Isaac is a three or Gordon's a three, or we're just going to play these lineups where Isaac Gordon and another bigger on the court at the same time. That's super interesting to me defensively, particularly with Steve Clifford as their head coach. But in the time that Aaron Gordon and Jonathan Isaac played together with another big last year, the magic had a 94.9 offensive rating, according to the glass that's in the one percentile. And uh, if if you're going to, and you should, that that should be probably your most used three-man combination when you're looking at uh, how you're trying to build this team. That doesn't bode well for, for your offensive future. No, and you know, you're really kind of selling me on this because I didn't consider the point guard thing because it just you're guaranteed to have struggles like creating anything like dynamic on offense you know you're good break you know getting through the point of attack or getting it piercing the defense is going to be so a jerry and grant's fine but then he can't shoot so so i don't know where you're getting your sort of play initiation and pick and roll stuff or, or whatever but the like you alluded to it too the main thing is that roster like by default they're gonna have a conventional center on the floor 100 percent of the time because right. they have so many guys and so it's like, if those are your bookends, crappy point guard and conventional center, um, I don't know what, it almost doesn't matter what you do at two, three, and four. And and I think that, you know, I get taking Bamba. I mean, that's that's fine. But to me, then you're squeezing Gordon and Isaac, who are, you know, your, your two most promising guys, I guess, depending on how you feel about Bamba, because neither of those guys is a three. 
they just aren't. I mean, five years ago, they, one of them might have been, but, but they aren't. I mean, they're, they're, the, the game has changed so much in a half decade that, like, they're fours now, and you can't play them together without, you know, giving up a bunch. Um, their spacing is going to be bad. They're just, I mean, you know, Fournier, the fact that you mentioned Fournier as, like, a light in the dark for their offense says almost everything because he's fine, but, like, he should be on a good team, he's coming off the bench, right? I mean, like on a really good team. Or so that's a score in the starting lineup or something. Yeah, like maybe. Um, that's going to get rough. So you're making me wish I changed my pick, but I picked the Kings. Um, Always a safe pick on, when you're going. When you're going with yeah, the right. Worst. That's what I thought. I was like, I haven't put the Kings for enough worsts yet. So I better, they, they were candidates for both worst offense and worst defense because they, for a while there during the year, they were, uh, they were last in both last year. It would be um, terrible to, to me, do that in a year that they don't have their first round pick. Phoenix doing it last year, well, here's good, but Sacramento doing it this year of all years would just be laughably bad. This is the thing. I, the more I thought about it, it's less about personnel um, because I kind of believe in De'Aaron Fox, even though um, he's still just a suspect shooter. But he's so fast and such a good like potential transition weapon that I think he might be okay um, and potentially much better than that going forward. But but it's like a schematic thing. I'm I'm increasingly uh, convinced that Dave Yeager is just not a modern coach and not a good coach in the NBA. Um, the, the Kings, I think, took the third fewest threes in the league last year. They always have two bigs on the floor. They they just don't prioritize wing play, which is basically we were just stating like the reverse of every trend that has taken over offense in the league recently. Um, so they're just not organized in a way that I can see leading to scoring. Um, and, and like, yeah, Buddy Hield, you know, is a great shooter, but he can't do anything himself. And unless you believe Fox is ready to just spoon feed guys and pump up their numbers, I don't know why that's going to change. Um, I, I just I just have a hard time seeing how these guys get sort of in a system that makes any sense offensively. And so it's less about the people than it is about the way they're being deployed for me. And, and so I just think they're going to struggle on both ends, but I think the offense could be really bad. I think I'm with you. They're, they would probably be my second pick. I know Atlanta's safe if I wanted to defend Andy, which I'm not going to because he's a no. trash human being. He's like, the worst. You give the keys to a rookie point guard, and we saw what happened at points with Dallas last year, and Atlanta doesn't have really any of the veteran crutches that Dallas did. Jeremy Lin, okay, but Torian Prince, no. John Collins, no. Uh, but the Kings, it, to me, it's not even just the way they're being deployed. You're, you're correct there, but it also is the personnel I think their most intriguing path to maybe proving you wrong or us wrong and saying maybe they're not even bottom five would be you play De'Aaron Fox a bunch with uh, Bogdanovich and Buddy Heald at the same time. I don't know how you survive defensively during those minutes, uh, but that would be the pathway to having an above-board offense, and they're probably not going to do that because they signed Bielitsa. They're at least not going to do it too much in my mind, and they're going to use him as a three and that he's a good shooter, but he's not this off the dribble face up guy. And that's going to complicate your offense because you don't have a ton of spacers in the front court. You're playing threes um, who, unless they're Buddy Heald or Bogdanovich, they're not really great shooters. I, I think they're a good pick and they probably would have been my, my second option. And that's not me just being typical. Oh, worst, worst something. Yeah. Let me go with the Kings. I just think that they, well, you quality. know, Everything you just said, like, is talking me into them as cha- making me want to change my pick to the Kings as the worst defense. Because if they do play Bielitsa at the three, and then they're going to be playing small guards basically no matter what, and they're going to have Bagley out there who can't guard anybody, and maybe Scal or Collie. I mean, it's ugh. they've clearly given up on Scal, right? He's just he's done there. I can't 
That would I, be I the guess. other thing is he's interesting to me on offense. Uh, and yeah. He, he's probably the one guy in the front court. I guess there's Bagley now, but you look at the four or five and he's shown some flashes when looking at how he creates from a face up spot. But now you have, uh, you have Harry Giles and you have Bagley and you have Willie Cauley Stein. And we know Zach Randolph is going to get minutes because Kings. Right. <laughs> so it's just. About him too. Jeez Louise. <laughs> No, it's a. Uh, I think Scal. Um, Scal is someone who, if the Kings parted ways and he ended up on like a smart team, that was going to say, "Guess you get to be Channing Fry now. That's all you do." Um, I would be like, I could see that working because um, he's super soft. He's never going to, I don't think, be a finisher inside. But I really like his stroke, and I think on a smart team, he'd be just if like, he went to Brooklyn or something, who just greenlights everyone to shoot every three they see. Um, that makes sense, but but Sacramento doesn't operate that way. No, I'm, I'm totally with you. Uh, who did you have? We'll go. Let's skip best defense. Let's jump to worst defense. Since you said you were tempted to now pick the Kings, are you going to go with the Kings? Or are you going to go with the pick that I see in our super secret Google Doc? Yeah, no, we've we've shit on the Kings enough um, for the next <laughs> ten minutes at least. We can we can refresh it after that. But I picked the Suns um, as the worst defense, and I mean it's not a huge leap from where they were last year. Um, were they the worst? They were close. I even looked it up. The Suns were um, the worst offense and defense last year. Boom. Double whammy. Good for them. Um, <laughs> yeah, they were the worst by a full point, um, more than a full point. Um, and to me, it's just, it's kind of reductive. It's just like, show me the guy that's going to make a difference or try. Um, and I just don't see it. Uh, you know, I think a big issue too, is that I assume they're going to give um, DeAndre Ayton big minutes because why wouldn't you? Right. And to me, he just looks like someone who, I think maybe wants to, I think the want to is there. I just think he's super lost all the time. And he just, uh, I, I, I think if you have a rookie playing big minutes at, at center and he's like your quote unquote anchor, um, and not just any rookie, a rookie that just really doesn't have a defensive track record at all, you're fighting uphill. And and when you're adding that to what was already the worst defense, it's just like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say. It seems you know, my only reservation is that I agreed with Andy, who we've established as a trash human. Yeah, so he picked he picked the Suns as well. I went with the Bulls almost solely because they are have to play Jabari Parker as their three. And yeah. uh, if you look at how Milwaukee has fared defensively when he plays the three over the years, last season, 112.5 defensive rating with him at the three. Um, 2016-2017, this is all per cleaning the glass, uh, 116.3 defensive rating with him at the three. 2015-2016, uh, 119.3 defensive rating with him at the three. And then in his rookie season, they were actually a 99.6 defensive rating with him at the three. My whole issue here is we have all, and I know you and your article, so we've, we've just crapped all over Jason Kidd's defensive schemes. Um, Maybe smarter coaching would have allowed the Bucks with all their length, with guys like Middleton and Atentacumpo to to survive with Parker at the three. How in the hell are the Bulls supposed to do this? Wendell Carter Jr., who I probably think isn't going to get enough playing time when you just look at this roster, he should be great defensively. He's also a rookie. Laurie Markkinen was better defensively than I thought, um, particularly with his awareness on the glass last year. He's not someone who's just going to cover up for anyone. You have Zach Levine in the backcourt. Yes, Chris Dunn can be a monster on defense. After him, though, Cameron Payne, 
Uh, Justin <laughs> Holiday is fine. He's not. He can't really help you with the bigger wings, though. Denzel and Denzel Valentin is listed as a small forward on this roster because they don't have a true wing, and that's another problem with the Bulls. Forget about Jabari Parker. They just don't have anyone you point to and say, you know what, that guy is going to defend the the best off the dribble ball handler like sized player, whoever you know that six seven six eight guy who's going to attack you against some of the more elite offenses. They don't have that guy. It isn't Holiday. They got rid of David Nwaba, who was always good at defending up. That was terrible. I was just going to jump in and cut you off and say they sort of did have that guy, and they let him walk. Um, that, so, yeah, I mean, to me, the Parker thing is a huge issue, and all those numbers are disgusting, but it's like, how many of those minutes did he play with Zach Levine next to him? I mean, Levine, I think, is a worse defender than Parker, and so now you've got both of those are your two Those are your guys. Like, you're never going to score unless they're out there. And now, and you're you're never ever going to stop anyone with both of them theoretically guarding wings. Like what? What is that's? I just don't even know. And what it's, is Markkinen's effort level going to be when he's not getting shots because those two are just eating all of them up? Well, and you're setting Markkinen up to fail if you're going to play him mostly at the four. I think it's a lot like Porzingis, where it's like let's stop messing around and just this guy's a five. It's it's 2018. He's going to have to be a five. And so if you're sticking him out there on fours, this is a problem that Bagley's going to face in Sacramento. He just has you know, Markkinen is way more competitive and a better defender than Bagley, um, but he's going to struggle big time. So there's just this entire defense is a hole. It's not like there are holes in it. It's just one big hole. Yeah, and I, you know, Markin and Wendell Carter Jr., I think you can just talk yourself into them being interchangeable. But once you throw just these other pieces into the mix, specifically Parker, the Bulls, if they have better than a bottom three, bottom four defense, Fred Hoiberg deserves at least one coach of the year vote. It would be amazing. I'd be shocked. Yeah. Now, I prevented us from having a sweep in worse defense. You and Andy picked the Suns. I picked the Bulls. You prevented us from having a clean sweep in best defense. Andy and I picked the Jazz. I'm just going to roll through our justification quick, and it's basically, for me, the Jazz had the best defense in the NBA from December 19th on last year. That's 51 games. Uh, if they get a fully healthy Rudy Gobert for the entire year, fully healthy Ricky Rubio, you add Dante Exum into the mix, who was fantastic defensively in the playoffs, I just have a very tough time seeing... I, I There are probably a couple other teams we could that and you're going to justify one of them but i just think that they're kind of going to have maybe the margin won't be huge but i feel like they have a chokehold on this award yeah i mean full disclosure i picked the sixers largely because i just thought it would make for better conversation um and i do think they have a chance though but to your point like after the break last year utah was almost five points better than any other defense so i mean they they could slip and still you know, you guys could still definitely be right. But I guess my my justification for the Sixers is that, you know, they were the second best defense after the break. And I think third overall without looking at it, maybe fourth. Um, but I just see, so it's, it's kind of interesting. It's got to do with like, what kind of growth trajectory do you expect for young players? And a lot of times I think we make the mistake of thinking like, oh, this guy's going to learn how to shoot or, oh, this guy's going to develop a post game or, or whatever. But I think defensively is where you tend to see the biggest growth because it's just about reps and about sort of mental, I don't know, sharpening and just seeing stuff, you know, for the second time instead of the first time. Mm-hmm. So, so I think if you assume that that's possible or, or probable, um, I think Ben Simmons has like several levels to improve defensively and he's good. Um, and I think Embiid is great and he's going to get better. So I think it's more, I just expect those guys to take steps and when you're already one of the best defenses, if those steps are big enough, you could end up first. Um, so it's just more of a bet 
And obviously, it's also a bet on Embiid staying healthy because none of this means anything <laughs> if he's hurt. But um, it's more about that. I, I think Utah's defense is going to be awesome. That's definitely you know gun to my head. I would take the Jazz, but I think the Sixers have a real chance just because they've got so much talent that 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 should get better. Yeah, I, I think they're definitely a candidate, and maybe they've gotten better defensively over the offseason with the addition of Wilson Chandler. Their offense looks like it could suffer. Uh, the loss of Ilyasova, I think, could be huge. Missing out on Bialita could end up being big time for them. Mm-hmm. One of the things that does concern me, Markel Fultz presumably is going to get more minutes, and while he's long and supposed to be this better defensive version of James Harden in many respects just what is he's coming in as basically a rookie what is he going to look like defensively and that could throw uh the whole team for a loop but the uh, then I guess the counterpoint to that was I was one surprised at how well uh Dario Sarge progressed defensively last year but then just in general too Ben Simmons was spectacular yeah the potential there is really there if 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 Fultz is like just slightly terrible and not just like your <laughs> typical offensive, you know, minded rookie, which is basically how I'm viewing him this year. Um, it could be bit. I mean, you know, Covington's great. Simmons, Simmons could just be a defensive player of the year candidate just because of his tools, like his size and his intelligence and quickness. If that were a priority for him, I don't think um, it's beyond his capability, but, but yeah, I, I think there are definite, you know, Reddick's going to play a lot. He's a real target. Um, they're not super deep. So it, there's definitely ways it could go sideways for them. Utah is also a risk because Joe Ingles can't defend a traffic cone or, or a <laughs> barstool, whatever it was. <laughs> I can't remember what Colin Cowherd said about him. That was well, one of the funniest think, takes of the summer. I think, too, if Gobert gets hurt, then it's. We, we, I should probably stay away from that because that, that kind of caveat would change virtually every pick we make about teams. So I'll, I'll stay off the injury thing. Where do you want to head next? Hmm... Let's talk about, oh, I like this one, uh, the league leader in players-only meetings, um, in which I prevented a sweep um, by taking the Lakers. And it just, I mean, how many did the Cavs have? I don't know I don't know how loosely you want to define players-only meetings, but it seems like they follow LeBron around just because, and in this case, the, the ridiculous collection of humans that are on this roster, um, it just seems like there's going to be Friction. There's going to be like Rondo uh, telling Stevenson to stop hot dogging, and Stevenson like say, you know, holding up a mirror and saying, "How about the?" You know, it's just like I. There's such a weird mix um, that I just see it being complicated, um, and it's LA. And I didn't even mention Lonzo Ball, um, who isn't the problem, but his family's the problem, and I think um, that's another sort of potential source of of uh, unrest. So I just like my I like my chances with the Lakers. I think uh, put the over under at like four and a half for players only meetings for them. The, the I kind of hope you're right, just because it means one of the factors that will come into play here would be that no, LeBron isn't just solely caring about the big picture. If it becomes clear that they're not one of the top four teams in the West, or maybe that they're at risk of not making the playoffs, we'll start to hear maybe him throw some shade through the media too about uh, how they need more playmakers, even though they're supposed to get all the playmakers this summer. Uh, if there's a clo- if there's a players only meeting though, there, especially early on, it just, it paves the way for ultimate chaos. And, and I'm a fan of the, uh, of the ultimate chaos. Uh, both Andy and I though went with the wizards, which I think is probably just the, the easy pick, but it also just feels like the right pick. They just have this stew of, headbutting personalities we know that John Wall and Bradley Beal aren't best friends now you're bringing in 
Dwight Howard. Kelly Oubre's always been kind of out there. There's Markeith Morris. Uh, Austin Rivers uh, just has beef with everybody, it seems like. I honestly, I look at the Wizards and I just feel bad for Otto Porter. I feel like he deserves more emotionally <laughs> stable teammates. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's such, it, it's, it may be the easy pick, but it's also a great pick. Um, I just... I have a, re- I just don't feel like anyone likes John Wall. And, and like, that's independent of Dwight Howard. Um, I, I mean, we saw, you know, Gortat chirped at him last year and Gortat's gone now, um, for obviously. Um, but I, I, I just, I, it's weird. Like you would think Wall would be a fun guy to play with. Um, just because all he does is set you up for open corner threes. Maybe Otto Porter is John Wall's like great defender because he like made Otto Porter's career by hitting him in the corners. Um, but like, I, I guess maybe it's because he, he doesn't try on defense anymore. And I mean, he does pound the dribble a lot and he takes some bad, but it's just like, he should be a guy that people like. And he just, I mean, his, his history suggests it just isn't. And then also Dwight Howard, which is just like, you got to be kidding me. This guy's on this team. Yeah, that's there. The, things could go south there just, just super quickly. And, and maybe they won't, but let's be honest, they, they probably will. Um, where do you want to head next? We're just rolling Let's now. We're just churning these out. I know. We're, we're, this is good. This is a good pace. Um, I want to do the uh, uh, the very next one, the Nikola Jokic Award for a player who analytics will love, but common fans are going to underrate. Um, why don't you go first? Who, who did you pick for this? I went with, uh, well, let's throw Andy's out there first. He went with Nikola Jokic explanation point, which, you know, I think is, I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, it's always good to pick the person who's active and the award is is named after. I went with Kyle Lowry just to be different and not pick Nikola Jokic. But also, there's just this misconception that because his brand isn't as strong as a Damian Lillard or a John Wall or even a Kyrie Irving, that he's not as good. And then the age comes into play. But here, like, listen to this. And this is what I found fascinating. If you kind of look at his average ranks among point guards in BPM, um, in assists per game, in PER, and RPM, and win shares per 48 minutes, he grades out as a top five point guard. Like, just an average rank. And I know that's not a perfect metric, but, like, we're putting him in company then with CP3 and Curry, and he's ahead of, decidedly, Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving, John Wall, uh, and it's been like that for a few seasons. This isn't just 27, 2018. And for, for me, I think people forget that. And it was also just made abundantly clear with the reaction to the DeMar DeRozan, Kawhi Leonard trade, people saying the Raptors lost their best player. No, they lost their leading scorer. Kyle Lowry is their best, most valuable player, perhaps not anymore if Kawhi Leonard is Kawhi Leonard. And he deserves just in all these different conversations, he deserves more love because he's been doing it for a while in Toronto. And the fact that people are still kind of miffed at putting him in the elite point guard conversations or the fact that they thought DeMar DeRozan was Toronto's best player, it's kind of alarming. Yeah, I, I like that pick a lot. And I think not not so much last year, but in 16, 17, I had Lowry as, as a straight up top 10 player for that year. Um, I think he was, he was that good. Um, I think potentially like the, the quote unquote common fan perception of Lowry could catch up to him this year as he gets older. He feels like a guy that's going to go over the cliff at some point. Like it's not going to be a, a great, you know, a, a graceful decline. I don't feel like, 
Um, but yeah, the idea that DeRozan could be viewed as a better player than him is is kind of nuts to me. Um, I went a little further under the radar, I guess. Um, and I don't even know that analytics necessarily love him that much, but Robert Covington is someone who I think, especially after his playoff performance, everybody's just like, this guy's trash. Um, cause he just, just couldn't make a shot, um, and was making mistakes left and right. But the guy is, you know, I don't know how you want to rank it, but I think he's probably one of the best wing defenders in the league. Um, can switch, is long, deflects everything, is smart, all that stuff. And, you know, he's not a great three-point shooter, but he's very willing. And a lot of times I think that counts for almost as much just because defenses have to treat you honestly. Um, so I think in defensive RPM, he's been in the top 10, certainly at, among small forwards the last couple of years. Um, and, and I would just say that, like, when you look around the league and you're sort of trying to fill holes, it feels like 20 of the teams need a three and D wing. Um, you know, someone that's got size that can guard a bunch of positions and make a three. And it's like, that's Robert Covington. That he, Robert Covington is the guy that every team in the league wants. Um, and I don't feel like, you know, the casual fan appreciates that. Um, I don't even feel like the, you know, Philly fans appreciate that all the time, especially after how he performed at the end of last year. Um, but that guy's good. And I, I think um, if he just keeps doing exactly what he's doing, he's going to continue to be a, a net positive guy that the numbers always like. But I don't know if his game is ever going to be one that people you know, really get in on. He, looking at NBA Matt's own defensive point saved metric, and I'm just going to include Ben Simmons as a wing. The wings that ranked in front of Robert Covington in defensive point saved, granted this weights defensive rebounding pretty heavily, just like box plus minus. Ben Simmons. Kyle Anderson, LeBron James, that's it. So Robert Covington's legit. I He probably gets lost um, because he's not this off-the-dribble guy on offense. And he people who are great defenders and then specialty offensive players, they tend to just get lost in the shuffle and become generally underappreciated. There are people who think that his contract is a bad contract. That's crazy. To me, I, to me, that's absolutely nuts. I know he didn't have the best postseason, but you have Robert Covington for the next four years. Uh, for he never makes more than twelve point nine million dollars, and it comes to four years, forty six point nine million. If that initial number last year threw people off, it was smart the way the Sixers structured it. I kind of get maybe getting sticker shock there, but to to be concerned about his contract to me is just. Is, is incredibly absurd. I, I do think he's a good pick. My guess for why he gets lost in the shuffle, though, is because he's not the one who creates in any way, shape, or form on, on the offensive end for himself or for others. Yeah, strictly a complimentary guy, but a, one that every single team wishes they had, basically. Um, let's see. I'm going to pick another one, and let's do – because. and again, this is bad podcasting because they can't see this. You just highlighted top 25 player most likely to be traded, and I want to <laughs> do that one. And I picked, I keep breaking up you guys' sweeps because I care about the conversation on this podcast. Um, I picked Kyrie Irving. And um, that is not really based on anything, but the feeling that, you know, the Knicks thing is whatever. Um, I feel like the Knicks are always thrown out there by agents as like a leverage play, even, you know, two no. years from free agency. <laughs> yeah. Is that, a, is that a news? Uh, did I break news to you, Dan? <laughs> the you Knicks signed all the star free agents. They must. They right. link to them every summer. Did you know, know Kevin Durant's going to be there too? Kevin Durant's going to sign there? People get so then... mad because on Twitter I just say, or I wrote something the other day where I wrote, Kevin Knox is going to be the best teammate that Kevin Durant ever has. 
And in the <laughs> comment section, there were people going off saying, I hate how people just assume that Kevin Durant's going to sign with the Knicks. And I'm like, that was clearly tongue-in-cheek. I don't think right. Kevin Durant is going to the Knicks this summer or ever. But it's it's funny how people still think that I would say writers just assume that everyone's going to the Knicks. I don't know a writer, anyone that just assumes anyone is going to the Knicks. No, I wrote something today trying to get Kyrie to the Clippers. So there's that. That's as far away from New York as you can possibly be. Could you imagine the Kyrie-LeBron rivalry in LA? That'd be spectacular. Part of it. just wanted to see that. Um, No, so the short Irving uh, getting traded thing is just like, you know, the Celtics are heartless and smart. And maybe he's damaged goods now. It's possible. The guy's had a lot of knee surgeries um, and he had health problems before. Like he he gets hurt a lot and it could just be, you know, he's not what he was. So if anyone's going to just cut bait with someone, it's Danny Ainge. So that's one. Two is he very clearly wants to be the guy on his team. That's always been a priority for him. You don't leave LeBron James and basically say that's the reason unless that's your whole MO. And uh, Jason Tatum's not there yet, but it kind of feels like Boston wants Jason Tatum to be that guy. And if it's not him, it's Jalen Brown. And Al Horford is better than Kyrie Irving. So if you're just kind of scoring at home, Irving might be sort of fourth on the totem pole. And that's before they get Anthony Davis or before they trade their potentially number one pick for something awesome. So I could see him angling to get out because he wants his team and the Celtics are just not his team. So so that's kind of my thinking on that one. I actually really like that pick. And both Andy and I picked Jimmy Butler. I initially had Damian Lillard. And I, I still kind of think that I wish that I picked him sort of still since this selection kind of gives Tom Thibodeau too much credit. It assumes that he'll <laughs> recognize Jimmy Butler is going to leave and he'll get rid of him. I'm not sure how confident I am in him to do that. But just yeah. all the reports uh, from Sean Davini of Sporting News, Joe Callie of the Chicago Sun-Times, that he's not happy with Andrew Wiggins or Carl Anthony Towns or Minnesota's youth, even on his Instagram posts, it's not like he has to come to everyone's defense, but like he didn't deny the allegations flat out when they were saying that he doesn't care about his teammates or someone questioned his leadership. And, and he was like, where do I have to lead them? Like, or, or it was, I, I can't even remember what it was. Um, I also think he's a smart player. And while I do think that I, I could see him going after basketball fit in free agency. He seems like one of those guys. But if Utah's going to have cap space, and I pretty much think any free agency wing should go there, he seems like one of the higher-end guys who might consider a team like that. But you look at Minnesota's books, they have zero path toward real improvement. Even if they renounce Tyus Jones next summer, you pencil in a max contract for Jimmy Butler, and there you go, you're in the luxury tax. Yeah, uh, you're done. That, because you have to give Carl Anthony Towns the max. So it's over. You remove Jimmy Butler's cap hold. This is my favorite from the equation. And yes, they're still carrying Tyus Jones' cap hold. They're they're over the cap. If you remove Jimmy Butler's cap hold, that's just <laughs> objectively ridiculous. And Carl Anthony Towns will get better. And I think he might even be underrated uh, at how – People are so quick to criticize his defense now, and he's not a great defender, but he's not Andrew Wiggins bad, and he could get better. You have that Andrew Wiggins albatross on your books. There's just no light at the end of the tunnel. If you want to keep Tosh Gibson around, who's also a free agent, forget about it. The other thing would be they needed wings. Tom Thibodeau said that they needed wings who could shoot and defend, and then he went out and hard-tapped the team for Anthony Tolliver, who's a good shooter, but he's not a wing. And I like who they ended up with in the draft, Akogi and uh, Diop. But how do we trust Tom Thibodeau to play any of those guys? 
Can I, think, I answer that? <laughs> no. <laughs> I think by December we start to hear just rumblings that he's super unhappy in Minnesota and that the Timberwolves will be uh, have no choice but but to trade him. I could see Kyrie Irving getting dealt too, though. If yeah, everything I mean, you said about Boston spot on, but Damian Lillard's another name to watch there for me. I know people want to see Anthony Davis or Giannis Antetokounmpo. Damian Lillard just seems like he's fed up with the Blazers running in place, and there's a good to really good chance that they're not going to be in the playoffs next year. Yeah, do you think that um, that I was in, I was interested in that? I was going to ask you, like, you know, everybody talks about they got to break up the McCollum Lillard backcourt, which I think is kind of stupid because those guys are both great and they're not the problem with the roster. But but I see the logic. Don't you think they would try to move McCollum for someone that improves them before they they move Lillard? Because Lillard is, I mean, he's something like sort of special there. I think as far as the fans are concerned, and he's the face of the franchise. Like, I would think. You might look in moving, look at moving McCollum and seeing. You probably have to check this with Lillard. Like, hey, we can get. I I can't. I struggle to think of a forward that would match salary or whatever. But we can get this guy. What do you say? I feel like that's the more logical path. But if you really wanted to get something, obviously Lillard would would net the bigger return. Do you think? I mean, what do you think about is McCollum someone you considered too? I guess he maybe isn't a top twenty-five guy. Yeah, maybe he's not he a top 25 player to me. Maybe he's close. The other thing, though, is that if you're trading one of these guys, you either need to be sure that you're divesting them into the player or players that you need to continue or push forward toward contention, or they need to get you enough so that you can flat-out jumpstart a rebuild. Lillard is that player in both scenarios. McCollum, I don't think, is going to net you as much. It'd be interesting if... Minnesota just wants someone who's under contract, and they they floated Jimmy Butler for CJ McCollum. That would be a Ooh. some heck of a framework. I that's interesting. Jimmy Butler's a lot better. I don't even know if Portland would do that deal with Jimmy Butler coming back. Uh, excuse me, heading toward free agency, and I don't think the Minnesota Timberwolves particularly need CJ McCollum. Uh, but that that would be an interesting scenario if, if there's a situation like that that maybe crops up. Perhaps, but I, I would think that Damian Lillard, one way or the other, just gives you it helps you signal a direction if you move him, and I don't think CJ McCollum necessarily does that. It would have to be pitcher perfect circumstances. Yeah, that's a good point. And since we're talking about big name trades, I think the next thing we should do um, is the first non Celtics team to be rebuffed by an Anthony Davis trade inquiry. Can and I, I really for like coming up with that award? That's, that's great because that's a real question. First of all. Um, and, and it's also framed right because the Celtics are just like, he's going to be on the Celtics, right? Like, it seems like that's as close to... I don't even know if it's to, that it's the conclusion. It's just that the Celtics are calling. You, you right. can guarantee that. Right. And they've got the most assets. It's like, if you had to pick a team, it's definitely them. But I love that all three of our picks are different and they're all like variations of teams that dream big. You know, like they just, their ambition is like boundless. The Lakers are Andy's pick, which, you know, the Lakers think they're going to get everybody. So that makes perfect sense. Their offer would be, it'd be great too, because, you know, it'd be like Luol Dang and Josh Hart and they refuse to include, <laughs> they refuse to include anybody else. Right. Yeah. So my, <laughs> that'd be such a great trade call um, to Dell Demps, who somehow still has a job. Um I picked the Kings because they're big dreamers too, and they have no concept of sort of where they exist in the NBA hierarchy, and they have an inflated sense of like sort of where they are in their rebuild and how much talent they have, and it it doesn't seem for the Kings to think internally that they have a package that could get Anthony Davis. They're like, 
they're the complete opposite of the Lakers who are sort of justified in thinking they get anyone now that they got LeBron. Um, the Kings are like, uh, they're like, they're like uncle Rico in Napoleon dynamite <laughs> where he's just talking about like, man, if coach put me in, I'd have made state he, that, that is the Kings. They're like, man, if we could just catch a break, we'd be, you know, back to back to back title winners. This is just, it's just, you know, the fates have conspired against us. That's why we're bad. So, uh, it's never going to happen, but I believe that the Kings believe that they can get Anthony Davis. That's fair. They would have, I wouldn't say a good Anthony Davis trade package proposal, but they could at least have a respectable one if they drafted Doncic over Marvin Bagley. Can can I tell you that I live in the Sacramento area and there is a faction of Kings fans um, that is vocal, that defends that decision to, to pass on Doncic. Uh, specifically for Bagley, who I think was maybe in my top 10 if on my big board, like maybe, 8, 9, 10 maybe. Um, that's a real thing. And that gives you a window into just how realistically the Kings and their followers uh, view the world. I, I picked the uh, – that first of all, that's terrible. And all the smart people from uh, Kings Twitter that I follow seem to despise that decision. And I believe that they should. Who knows? Maybe we'll all uh, be proven wrong, but – Probably not. It'll be the Kings who have proven wrong. My pick is the Rockets, and I feel like this is kind of random, and it's either a compliment to or an insult at their general manager, Daryl Morey. But now that you have Clint Capella on this bigger deal, and he'll be eligible to be traded on January 15th, and now that you kind of gave up all these wings in Ariza and Bob Mute, I just feel like they're going to try and do something big. I don't think they'll get Anthony Davis, but I could see them building something around Capella, some more filler and just a million first-round picks, however long in advance they're going to be able to go. Let's say three first-round picks, since they could structure it that way, and uh, sell New Orleans. Maybe Del Demps is trying to save his job, or maybe the Pelicans aren't interested in a full-on rebuild, or even if they're interested in that full-tilt rebuild. You have Clint Capella, who is still super young and, and okay for that timeline. That just, I'm not saying that's what they're thinking, but I could see it happening, particularly because they signed Chris Paul that four-year deal. And I thought there was going to be yeah. something where it was three years or something like that. But that now that you gave Chris Paul that four-year deal, you're just firmly tied to his window. And you have to kind of try to find a, way to find a way to wedge it open in the latter two years of that contract, or at least just make the most of the next two years, the first two years of that contract. And this would be that type of swing for the fences move that I could see Houston trying to make. They will fail, but uh, you know, Clint Capella salary filler and three first round picks might be a starting point. If Anthony Davis gets restless in new Orleans. Well, that's the thing because to me, like the difference between anybody and the Celtics is that, you know, if, if nothing ever leaks about Davis being unhappy or wanting out or getting like full Paul George and saying like, I'm going to play, I'm not resigning or, or whatever. Um, the Celtics could still make an offer that's good enough for Pelicans fans to be like, it's eh, pretty good. You know, that's fine. All right. You know that we don't want to lose Anthony Davis, but we did okay there. But if, if those leaks do come out, you know, the, his agent put something out there or, or whatever, then I think the Houston option gets like exponentially more likely because then all you have to sell to your, to, to the, to the fans and whatever is like, look, we're going to lose this guy for nothing. So getting Capella locked into a really team friendly deal for a long time and a bunch of picks, like that's really good. I think I think the Houston option gets very much more realistic if if we start to see those rumbles um, or hear those rumbles out of New Orleans. Which, like you know, if it's going to happen, I think we should probably expect to hear them this year because this free agency is not that far off. 
Yeah, if he's, um, they might just wait until after the season so that they can give him that designated veteran extension. And if he turns mm-hmm. it down, that's when you move him. That'd be if I'm the Pelicans, that's what I do. But you never know what could happen. They they took a risk by not just letting Demarcus Cousins walk, but the way they kind of structured their team, they used their best sort of asset in terms of cap space to get Julius Randle, who is an interesting fit. I wouldn't say he's a great fit. He has the potential to be a great fit. Uh, but those minutes where they invariably play Davis, Randall, and Miritich together are going to be a pretty good bellwether for where this team ends up in the Western Conference. Yeah, and I mean, Rand- we're, we're digressing, but that's what we do. Um, the Randall, to me, his that deal just screams short timer. You know, he just want he wanted as much as he could get, and then just get me back on the market. Um, and, and I mean, like as far as Davis, I think I think the right move was letting Cousins and, and Rondo leave. But I wonder if in Davis's mind, he's like, well, these guys were. Our, you know, integral to the playoff, to our season last year, you know, Cousins not so much in the playoffs, obviously, but um, I think from his perspective, he might be a little disgruntled now, and he's like, Julius Randle's what we got, you know, and to replace him, that's that's what we're doing. So I could see him kind of getting frustrated, but, you know, nothing like a, like a Supermax to kind of put your mind at ease, I guess. I could see him staying in New Orleans, too, because that's a hell of a lot of money. Nobody turns it down. It doesn't happen. So I, it, it, it would be tough if he did it. Where you want to go next, Grant? Man, I'm gonna not listen to where you're highlighting, and uh, like, I want to. There's no rhyme or reason. My hands are just slipping <laughs> on the mouth. You're just bored by me talking at you through the interwebs. No, I just have um, like fidgety fingers. That's all. I'll take it. Personally. What about the worst under the radar addition by season's end? Since we're gonna, we're, we'll go negative first. Um, we have three. Andy picked up. We have three. Yeah, three ones. Three different guys, which is good. Andy picked Austin Rivers, which I think I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. Um, I, I think Austin Rivers is actually like he's okay now. He used to be kind of a joke, both for his personality and his game, but he's quietly become a better shooter. He competes defense. Like it's just that he's an asshole, right? That's why everybody. That's why everybody doesn't like him. Um, but like on this team, um, I don't think he's a big enough one to really like make waves because on the Wizards, everybody else is so much worse. <laughs> He's going to come um, off looking rosy. Yeah, right? What He'll be the Samaritan. voice of reason when when John Wall's trying to choke Dwight Howard out in the locker room or whatever for calling him out on defense. Um, so I don't know if I go with that one. I said Jeremy Lin. Um, I think just because at no point did what Atlanta did in getting him make sense. Um, and I would love for you to talk me to explain to me what I'm missing because um, it's possible. I, I miss things. Um, but I just don't get unless, – unless he's strictly there – to be traded, which is a possibility as like, this is a number that might get us someone on a longer deal that would match salary with, or he's someone, I don't know. I don't know what the logic would be, but like give the ball to Trey Young and just let him fail. Like that's kind of my approach. And I don't feel like they gained enough in terms of draft assets to justify taking him on. So I'm struggling with that one. And I think he gets in the way of Trey Young it's going to be rough for Trey Young. I think it's going to be a really tough rookie season, but it needs to be. I think he needs to just get his ass kicked for for a year. And Lynn is kind of like a safety blanket because they can just put him out there if it gets too ugly. And I think that's an instinct um, I wouldn't necessarily go with if I were the Hawks. I think, one, Lynn is going to put butts in the seats because he just yep. has a huge following, and that's probably what they were thinking. They probably also envision eventually trading Ken, Ken Bazemore, and that opens up a ton of time for Jeremy Lynn, Trey Young minutes together. And we saw how the Kemba Walker, Jeremy Lynn dynamic worked out in Charlotte. Maybe that's what they're thinking. And I'm not 
I actually thought it was interesting that you picked this. I'm not crazy about the addition, and I, I understand all that you're saying, but I don't think he's going to hurt Trey Young's development in an appreciable fashion. If anything, he's at least someone who's dealt with this spotlight. Trey Young is being billed as maybe a superstar, which Lynn never was, but he's just been under scrutiny ever since Linsanity in New York, and maybe they're hoping that his kind of level-headed, even-keeled, or just experience to to that type of atmosphere is going to help Trey Young. It could also just be about putting butts in seats. And when you look at how they're not just loaded with wing prospects, I'm not against them playing Trey Young and Jeremy Lin together. They also don't have a ton of point guards. There's Jeremy Lin and Trey Young, and that's basically it. Yeah, you know, that's a good argument. I didn't really think about the benefits of if you could move Young off the ball um, a little bit and kind of see if he has an easier time there. But I guess, I guess, I don't know, this maybe this is, this is almost like masochistic that I just want to see I think Young can. I think Young has a chance to be really good, and that's hard to say after some of his summer league stuff. Um, but I also think he's Passing just going to have to get. That was actually. I think that needed to be talked about more. I'm. Yeah. I'm he he just. He's going to fail, and I think he needs to fail for a, for a year at least. Um, and I guess like I just want to see him in the toughest position possible, and I think Atlanta should too because they need to know. You know, they gave up a ton. Um, to, to, to get him. Um, and I, it's a move that I just, I don't know if I would have made in the draft, but, um, I, I would want to know as quickly as possible. Like, can this guy take it? And I feel like Lynn maybe makes that harder to find out, but your point is a good one. I may, it may actually be the opposite. If on day one though, if at any point that it, they're starting Jeremy Lynn and bringing Trey Young off the bench, then yeah, that's a problem. If that's what yeah. the dynamic is, then yeah. yeah. Um, One thing that's scary and why I did consider Austin Rivers, and this is since we're throwing shade at Andy because he's not here. This is a scary-ass stat. Here is – and it's it's literally the only – one of the only reasons I didn't pick Austin Rivers. Here's every player last year who attempted at least 150 pull-up threes and shot at least 37%. On them, Chris Paul, Paul George, Kemba Walker, James Harden, Kyle Lowry, Stephen Curry, Kyrie Irving, Tyreek Evans, and Austin Rivers. That's that's some company to put pretty good uh, and supports every point you made. So I'm with you there. I picked Marco Bellinelli. What (laughs) in the absolute hell were the Spurs thinking? Who first of all, who was giving him two years and twelve million dollars, basically? Who's, that's the that's the issue. It's who, the money. Who was giving him that money? And two, he's not. I mean, you need his floor spacing, but he's almost irrelevant because he's not someone you want trying to pull up from three. He did shoot thirty seven percent on pull up three pointers last year, but he only took about one point something per game. He also was terrible in the playoffs with Philly, and now you're on a Spurs team where that might be the only way that he has an opportunity to get a bunch of quality looks. I know San Antonio will move bodies in ball and they'll create space organically, but he's not going to have a ton of wide open looks when you look at just, uh, they're going to be their projected starting lineup hit 205 threes combined last year combined. There are 12 players who hit 200 threes on their own last year. And you're looking at DeRozan and Aldridge uh, in the same lineup with DeJounte Murray, who doesn't shoot threes yet. Maybe he will this season. We don't know. I don't know that he's the greatest fit. And if you do need to turn to him to create off the dribble, which I guess you really shouldn't because you have so many ball dominant talents. I'm just curious to see what type of fit uh, or how that fit is going to look. And the other thing, I know he signed before the Kawhi Leonard trade, 
But if there was even an inkling in your mind that not only were you going to trade Kawhi Leonard, but you were not going to pay Kyle Anderson, and then you were going to trade Danny Green with Kawhi Leonard, and you had to know if you're the Spurs about the Green comment because there were reports and rumblings leading up to the trade deadline that the Spurs were just trying to give him away, which I will never understand. You just lost three of your top defenders, and now Marco Bellinelli is like one of your primary wing options. That's not okay. And I don't, I just think that I know that you can't predict the future, but the Kawhi Leonard stuff was going on when the Marco Bellinelli decision was made. And, and that seemed questionable at best. They're lucky it's only two years, but the price, the fit, looking at the roster and what it needs, uh, he just doesn't look like a great addition. Yeah. I mean, I would just add that like big picture, you know, last year was a real test, I think for sort of the, the Spurs culture or whatever you want to call it. And like, how can they win with the, this personnel? You know, Leonard played nine games and they were still a good team. Um, I think this year is going to be the bigger test because for all the reasons you mentioned, they lost so much defensive impact and the spacing crunch for this team on offense is just going to be like mind boggling. You know, they're doubling down to Ro- I mean, DeRozan is just, he's not going to stretch the floor. Even if he shoots more threes like he did last year, it's still not enough. And you've, you've lost Danny Green. And it's just like, I, I don't know where they, it's going to be amazing if this is a playoff team uh, to me. because And I'm not ruling it out because the Spurs just amaze us all the time. Um, but but I just think Bellinelli is an example of someone that, you know, he's going to play a significant role. And, and however you want to slice it, like he's a major downgrade from the guys that were occupying that role last year. So it's going to be really impressive if, if they can figure out how to operate on, on either end uh, this year with the talent that they have. Aldridge and DeRozan. And this is with DeRozan. I know people say they're playing together. Maybe they won't get up as many shots. But DeRozan actually saw his volume for mid-range kind of plummet last year. And him and Aldridge who led the league in mid-range shot attempts, combined for 1,057 mid-range jump shot attempts. There are, counting them really quick, there are five teams who didn't attempt that many mid-range shots. Five teams! And the Spurs have two of their guys who who attempted 1,057 mid-rangers. Yeah, it's really gone from like the Spurs are zigging when everyone zags to like the Spurs are... It's like perpendicular now. They're just, yeah, they're just like complete opposite in approach. And like, I've just made, it makes me nervous. I think there's room for being, you know, slick about sort of going against trend. But when it gets to this degree, it's just really hard for me to see how it works. Did you want to go to the sister award for this? The best under the radar edition by season's end. Oh yeah, sure. Um, Why don't you go first? I've been, I've been leading off for all these. I went with Brooke Lopez in Milwaukee, and you. I love everything from the price point to just the fit. He's not going to do anything for their defensive rebounding or really just their their defense in general. But him under Mike Budenholzer is really interesting to me because if you look back to his year with the Brooklyn Nets in 2016-2017, and, and one of the things I'll say is people have forgotten just how much of a monster Brooke Lopez can be on the offensive end because uh, the Lakers had no incentive to really work him. But you look back to, he's a guy who consistently averages 20 points or more per 36 minutes. He can space the floor in those pick and pops, has three point range, hits enough of them to where he'll be at a league average clip. If the bucks can cobble together some, some nice spacing, he'll be fine there. But you just look at the progress he made as a passer 
in Brooklyn in 2016, 2017, career high assist rate, assist per 36 minutes as well. You open up some interesting things that they can do. Maybe you use him as sort of this Al Horford light on the offensive end. Not as good as a screener, not nearly as good as a passer, not nearly as good as putting the ball on the floor from the face-up position, but you can do things with him in the post and now trust him to pass. If Kenny Atkinson can do it, there's no reason why Mike Buttonholes or someone he worked under can't do it either. And now that the Bucks finally have that pick-and-pop option, along with Ersan Ilyasova, of course, uh, I just think we're going to look back and say, wow, he's probably starting at center for them. And to get him for under $4 million uh, for the one year, I think we're just going to look back and, and say he, he really made an impact and he'll sort of remind us uh, the player he was toward the end of his tenure in Brooklyn, or at least will be closer to that than he was with the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, I, I love anything that decongests the offense in Milwaukee. I just think there's so much potential for what Giannis could do if you know, you've got to hang tight on guys at every position around the perimeter. Um, and Lopez definitely can do that. Um, that's, that, I mean, for the money, that's a ridiculous signing. Um, even if, you know, whatever, defensively it's going to be an issue and blah, blah, blah. But for the money, it's like you get a guy that can really help you on one end, that's a huge win. Um, I went deep on mine. I picked Travion Graham, who I think maybe would have been a good candidate for like the, uh, I don't know if it's the the guy that analytics loves and common fans underrate, but it's more like the guy that hipster fans really love but common fans underrate because he's always the guy that gets mentioned as like, you know who they should go get on the cheap is Travion Graham because he's he's sort of the, he's a little smallish for a 3 and D wing. Um, and I mean, the guy started three games in his career. He averaged like four points a game last year. So, I mean, he's not a world beater. Um, but like, of course, the Nets were the team that got him because I think increasingly we're learning that the Nets are one of the better run organizations in the league. Um, and Thank you. may have been... Yeah, right. May have, in fact, pumped up Brooke Lopez's value by just telling him to shoot a million threes and run the offense so they could trade him. Um, but Graham is just someone that like if if he's part of the Nets future, I think he's 24. Awesome. You got him for two years on a cheap deal. Um, if he's not, I really think he's the type of guy that at the deadline almost anybody would want. It's just it's like we always talk. I mean, I said it earlier. Everybody wants a Robert Covington. Graham is nowhere near Robert Covington, but he's sort of a, a faint copy. He's sort of the same idea. Um, he's limited offensively. All he's going to do is shoot threes, and all he's going to do is defend and play hard. And to me, uh, that, that How sh- are you should not be selling that. That's all he's going to do, which is well, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm doing the hip. I'm the hipster fan. I'm telling. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to the common fan who's like four point three points per game. Get him out of here. Um, I think he's really good or has at least the potential to be really good and a huge value um, that Brooklyn can keep and develop or just move for an asset. I love it. That's exactly the signing that a team like in Brooklyn's position should have made. The Before I relay Andy's pick, the thing I'll say is that you just pr- probably deliberately, but maybe also indirectly, just highlighted how fucking stupid the Charlotte Hornets offseason was. Yes. This year. It was... I know they're probably trying to clear time for Miles Bridges, but every like every team wants a 24-year-old wing who shot 41.2% from three last year, measures up against some of the better defensive assignments, and doesn't cost that much. That's what every team wants, and you were just like, nah, we're good. <laughs> and the, the thing I'll say is, so I know Graham is kind of undersized for, to call him a wing at 6'5", but he defended up last year and he wasn't spectacular but he was pretty damn good these are the 
um, I'm counting them now. The the top eight players that he defended, just looking at the volume of possessions last year, Kelly Oubre Jr., Chris Middleton, Giannis Attentacumpo, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Jason Tatum, Marco Bellinelli, Kyle Kuzma, and Wayne Ellington. That's those are a lot of like bigger, longer wings in there. Yeah, Wayne Ellington, pretty much a swing man. Same thing with Marco Bellinelli. Maybe even Bogdanovich, you want to throw that in there too. But Kuzma, Atentacumpo, Middleton, Ubre, like you have some bigger wings in there, and that was a great pickup for the Nets. It wouldn't surprise me to see him thrive there. I thought that was a great pick by you, and I don't even think it's too deep of a cut. It's it is because I don't think a lot of casual fans would have picked him, but I think it's a great pick. And he picked Seth Curry, which I think is fine. Um, I actually don't disagree. I'm just, I'm, I'm just messing Hold with Hold on. Him. Let's not heap praise on Andy while he's that, – that's yeah. not what we're doing. I think you need to downgrade from fine. No, it's just, yeah, Seth Curry is a, is a good pick. My, I mean, whole, my whole thing is, though, so Travion Graham in Brooklyn, no one averages 30 minutes per game there under Kenny Atkinson, at least not yet in those two years. We know Travion Graham's going to play. Brooke Lopez is going to play in Milwaukee. Seth Curry's in this weird spot because how much time – uh, is he going to be on the bench with both CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard in tow? Can you get away with playing all three of them at the same time? That would be super fun. I don't think it would be a recipe for defensive survival, but I, I think it's a solid pick. Just his opportunity feels like it'll be slightly less compared to everyone else's. More importantly, though, I just want to make sure we're pointing out the flaws in all of Andy's picks. Definitely. you got to stay consistent on that. Um, and I, I want to say I'm sorry to Hornets fans for getting so heated when I talk about them this summer. I've gone on a few Hornets rants. Just in case oh, you really? them grant. Yeah, they've they've just their offseason just kind of I thought they should have rebuilt and the fact that they didn't, whatever, but how they went about it to me was just was just terrible. And may, maybe they'll prove me wrong, who knows, but I, I don't think they will. Yeah, I mean I, I almost put Kemba Walker for the top twenty five guy most likely to be traded. Because I think he's he's close. He's close enough to to being top twenty five to warrant mention, but trading him would be the smart thing and the Hornets just have not that's why I didn't pick him. It was kind of yeah, so it's, it was the same reason I almost didn't pick Jimmy Butler, but I feel like Butler's more Butler knows he's gonna get max money from wherever, so he can just kind of grumble. I don't think Kevin right. Walker's necessarily in that situation. He's also already said he wants to retire in Charlotte, which is basically which is code crazy. for you're gonna give me max money if you want me to stay here. Yeah, that, yeah, that is what it is, in addition to being crazy. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.